Welcome, welcome back to Parkview and Life on Mission. I was on a plane last week and I was sitting next to this lady and um, we started chatting. And you know, that, that doesn't happen as much anymore because back in the day, they wouldn't let you play your music, they wouldn't let you read your Kindle, they wouldn't let you do anything, right? If it has an on-off button, make sure it's in the off position. That's what they used to say. But they've changed that law now. You can listen to your headphones, you could read your Kindle. And, and that's kind of a drag because you can't witness to people as easily. Back in the old days, you had two choices. You could either talk to the person next to to you, or you could browse the catalog that has all that weird stuff in it that you would never ever buy, like the $55,000 submarine that looks like a great white shark. No, you think I'm kidding? Look, here's pictures of it, $55,000. Wouldn't that be fun to take up and down the lakefront? Don't you know how bad I want one of those? I mean, that would be so much fun out on Lake Michigan, just pop up every once in a while. Anyway, Southern California is a long way away from Chicago, and this lady and I got to talking, and you know, one thing led to another, and pretty soon we started talking about spiritual things. And it turns out she lives in the area, so I invited her to Parkview. And do you know where she is right now? She's right back there in the back. Ma'am, would you stand up? I'm just kidding. I love doing that. She's not here. I was sitting next to my wife. Come on. I, I was sit actually on Southwest in between my wife and my other wife, Bill Brown, okay? It's like my version of solitary confinement in every way you could possibly imagine. But for a minute there, you were like, oh, Pastor Tim, such a great person. He tells people about Jesus everywhere he goes, which is really kind of dumb because, you know, for one thing, you're watching me on video, okay? You're watching me on video, so you know the lady's not back there. The reason it's on video is because we're uh, hopefully having a baby down in Nashville. My daughter's having a baby, and so I taped this so that you could have it, and uh, I could be down there. You know that that lady's not back there. The other thing that's dumb about it is why would you feel like I'm a good person and you're not because I shared with the person next to me on the plane? I mean, our mission is to share Jesus, right? God asks us to be his witnesses. We can't really do that unless we open our mouths. And if you are on the stand, you either have to be a witness or you have to plead the fifth. And most of us are just doing that. And a lot of times, me too. You know what? When I'm on a plane, and I'm just going to be honest, I don't pray for an opportunity to share Christ. I pray for an empty seat. I believe that God puts people in our paths, and I think that we need to be more vocal with our faith. But life on mission is about relationship. Remember that. We've talked about it over and over again. And I'm much more interested in your witness and your mission with the people that you already know. Listen to this. Jesus healed this guy. And Jesus was getting into the boat, and the man who had been demon-possessed, this was the guy he healed, begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis, his city, his area, how much Jesus had done for him. And all of the people were amazed. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be vocal on a plane. I'm not saying that we shouldn't share Jesus everywhere we go, but it's going to be most effective with the people that we know, the people that know us. So life on mission, we're in action step number three. We decided that the first thing we need to do if we're going to be on mission is we need to connect, and a lot of Christians just aren't connecting with people outside the body of Christ. And then the second thing is we need to serve because they need to see that we care about them. The people will never care how much you know until they know how much you care. And the third action step this week is to share. 
There's a quote I've used many times, and it's really good in the right context. It's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, one of the great church fathers in church history. The new pope took his name from St. Francis, right? The, the, the quote went something like this, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And the concept is true. What it means is that people should not need for me to tell them I'm a Christ follower. They should know. It's, it's like that Flower Man video that we showed. It, it, they should know because of my life. If it's good news for me, it should be good news for the whole neighborhood. And the reason this quote is so popular is because it's a backlash to an old idea that for church folks makes us feel really uncomfortable. The idea is called going witnessing. Raise your hand if just hearing that phrase freaks you out a little bit, okay? Hello, my name is Elder Price. I would, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. I, 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 going witnessing usually meant door-to-door evangelism, right? Okay, which was kind of like trick-or-treating in reverse. Instead of getting candy, you were giving candy. Except instead of giving candy, you were giving black licorice candy, all right? That, that's how I see going witnessing. That means that sometimes it worked because some people actually like black licorice. Most people think it tastes like tar that's been twisted together and cut up into little strips. So witnessing didn't work very well. And the word witness in scripture is almost always a noun. It's not, it's not a verb. It's not something you do. A witness is who you are. It's not something you do. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's witnesses, right? Not you will do witnessing. So that St. Francis quote works well except for two minor details. No one, A, has any record of St. Francis ever saying anything like that. And B, he never would say that because at some point it's necessary to use words. Ed Stetzer wrote recently an article, I, I, quote, I clipped this out, I thought it was great, saying preach the gospel and when necessary use words is a lot like saying feed the hungry and when necessary use food. Both are silly when people need bread and the bread of life, so proclaim it out loud to people without Christ. Of course we need to speak. The problem is that people probably aren't going to guess their way into the kingdom of God, so they're going to need to know the reason why you are who you are, the reason for the hope that is within you. That's what Peter said. You could seem peaceful to them because you spend a lot of time meditating in the moonlight or because you've been smoking pot in the men's bathroom at Parkview and the Christmas Eve services. Uh, we don't, they don't know why you have this hope, why you have this peace, why you have this joy unless we tell them. So being a witness is not about yapping about Jesus to everybody you meet, but it's more than just putting a fish on the back of your car and driving around. Listen to Paul. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody actually tells them? I love the story that Christian kid who was talking to another kid about Jesus and he, he, he went through the whole thing. If you want to go to heaven, you just have to believe in Jesus. And this little kid said, you mean, are you saying all I have to do to, is follow Jesus and I can go to heaven? Yeah, and the kid said, yeah. And, and the other kid said, so if my mom wants to go to heaven, all she has to do is follow Jesus? And the other kid said, yeah. And if you don't want her there, just don't tell her. <laughs> it's really that simple. 
You will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Remember, this is what we're talking about. Peter Drucker asked us to, you know, ask these two questions. Every day ask yourself, what business are we in and how's business? And we're in the witness business, okay? So here's some more of the one job pictures you guys have been sending me. Um, some of them that I thought were really, really great. Um, the first one is I'm really trying to figure out how that guy's going to go very far with that strapped through his wheel like that. You only had one job. Um, this one is great. Made it in China with the American flag. You only had one job, boys and girls. How about this one? Nice try, Blue Ben. <laughs> or the park bench guys who just were having a really, really bad day. I, I, I don't even know how that worked. How about the... Uh, I mean, it's neon. You, you really want to get the spelling right if you're going to go to all that trouble, right? But this is my favorite this week, the College of Architecture and Planning that didn't quite think far enough ahead to get the whole thing on there. Not, I'm not going to that college, okay? You only had one job. Hashtag LOM, one job. Life on Mission, one job. Keep sending them to me. They're great. We're in the witness business. Paul's very specific in Acts chapter 20. The most important thing is that I complete the mission, the work the Lord Jesus gave me, all right? I want us to all read this together, read it out loud. To tell people the good news about God's grace. That's my mission. Let me take you to a few months into the new church. We've been talking a lot about the book of Acts and, and what God did in the early church along here. This is a guy named Philip who gets to be one of the first witnesses for Jesus, and we have record of it, and it's in Acts chapter 8. Let me just read it for you. Those who've been scattered preached the word wherever they went, and Philip went down into a city, Samaria, and proclaimed Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Okay, remember from last week, Samaria is the place where they have really bad theology, and the Gracious didn't like them very much. So Philip is taking Jesus' idea, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to go to the, to, to, to the place where the tax collectors and the prostitutes are. I'm going to go to the country where it's the you know, least comfortable for people to be, a place where good Jews would never go in the first place. I'm going to go there. So he's, he's following Jesus already. And when Philip went to Samaria, notice what it says. It says, they noticed what he said, but they also noticed what he did. It said, when they heard and saw, this is so important, they heard his words and they saw his signs. His mouth was congruent with his hands. And that resulted in them wanting to hear his message. That's why, again, relationship is so important. Do you see what I'm saying here? If I'm sitting next to somebody on a plane, they have no idea if my life matches what I'm preaching. But your neighbors do. The people at work do. Your family does. What these people saw in Philip was something that was real and it was genuine. The key to being a witness for Jesus is living a life that people want to know more about. Absolutely, preach the gospel at all times with your life. I, I, I agree with that part. It goes back to my daughter and my new son-in-law conversation over the internet when he was coming to faith and he said, you know, you don't have to tell me that you're standing on the rock or that that rock is stronger than anything I've got in my life because I can see the rock, okay? So, so here's where I'm going with this. I believe a good witness has good hands. They have good hands. They have good deeds. They have things that they do already. That's the place that it starts. 
Let's go on and we'll see. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Again, here goes Philip again to the unlikely people, Ethiopian eunuch. Here was a black, wealthy, non-Christian, just the opposite of Philip. And Philip recognized that he needed to connect with him because he absolutely knew he needed to connect with him. That's the job of the person on mission. Not like the sign that somebody saw in a convent in California. Absolutely no trespassing. Violators will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Signed the Sisters of Mercy. Well, not so much. I mean, we're supposed to connect, right? You had one job, Sisters of Mercy. You're supposed to connect. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick, okay? But watch Philip's approach here because this is really, really great. The man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading from Isaiah the prophet and the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the news about Jesus. Which demonstrates the second key quality of a witness. A good witness has good hands and good eyes. He has good eyes. What do I mean? The real problem with the old idea of witnessing, it was timing. If somebody shows up at my door on Saturday morning, not only do I not see any evidence of Jesus in their life when, I, when I'm listening to them, but I don't want to talk about spiritual stuff on Saturday morning anyway. Do you? Oh, I don't know anybody that does. I mean, that's why the Seventh-day Adventists have a hard time getting people to come to church. When I was growing up, Saturday morning was for, it was for cartoons. Can I get a witness, right? Okay. And I don't think I've ever grown out of that. I don't want to have a spiritual conversation on Saturday morning. And actually, it really doesn't matter when you would come and knock on the door of my house. I am never sitting around going... Wow, I sure wish somebody would stop by and knock on my door with a different religious viewpoint than I so I could kill a few hours. Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. If you want to catch fish, you have to go in the right season and you have to go at the right time of the day in the season. And it's usually early in the morning which is why I'm not a fisherman, okay? Timing is important. And, and if you want to fish for people, you're gonna have to develop a sense of timing. So Philip had this. I mean, okay, he had a tremendous advantage. Let's just give him that. God told Philip that the time was right to go speak to that man, right? <clears throat> but does God still do that? I mean, do you think his iPhone is broken? Do you think he upgraded to iOS 8 and it's not working for him very well either? No, I, I, it, may, it may not be like God, you know, shouting down at heaven, but, but if we live our life under God's direction, I think we're going to sense times when it's good to go, it's good to talk, it's good to share, and we're going to sense other times when it's absolutely not. I believe good timing is more about observation than some mystical message from God. But listen again to Paul. I want you to hear this. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. How did he deal with this Ethiopian? Okay. Philip showed him a lot of respect. He didn't offend his religious beliefs. He simply took the Bible and showed him Jesus. 
I love this paraphrase of 1 Corinthians. Whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. That's what Paul said. A good witness, see, is not just about your mouth. There's some other parts. He's got good hands, he's got good eyes, and he's got good ears. This is probably the most important part. Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you are reading? He asked him a question. Jesus did this all the time. He would ask people questions, and it's very simple and very profound. When you ask a question to someone, you're saying to them, I value your opinion. I want to listen to you. Okay? Not I'm trying to sell you something, but I value you. And it's a good way to understand the responsiveness of the person that you're talking to. So if you're talking to a coworker, ask them about the things that are going on in their life. There's pictures in their cubicle, right? If you're talking to a neighbor, ask them what they did on vacation. Start talking to them. Ask them questions. Because here's what happens. As you get to know people along the way, one question is probably going to lead to another. And if God wants you to talk to that person, he may open the door wide open for you to take a spiritual path. I mean, I've talked about my relationship with my friend that I met at the health club. And um, I just want, I want you to know the line that I used to start this relationship with this guy who was far from God. It's, it's really good, so you may want to write this down. I'll put it on the teaching monitor so that you can make sure you get it, okay? Because it's a good opening, you know, line for any of you. Here's what I said. I said, hey man, how you doing? That's it. That's what I said. Hey, man, how you doing? It was really my way of saying, dude, if you're planning on using the weights that I'm using right now, you go ahead because I don't want you to hurt me. But, but it was an intro little question, how you doing? And he said, not so good. And I said, well, here's my cell number. And he called and the rest is history. Most people come to the Lord because of a friend. So are you going to be a friend or not? I once heard someone say the best evangelistic tools that you have are stuck on the side of your head. It's your ears. Philip ran up alongside and asked the man if he understood the Bible. He figured out how to turn the conversation into something spiritual. And here's the rub. I think the temptation for us is to not ever bring up the subject of God. The temptation for us is to talk about the bears or when we're going to put up the Christmas lights or the Ebola scare or whatever. At some point, if you're friends with somebody, there's going to be something that's going to lead you into a spiritual conversation, and you're going to have to go down that road. And the reason most people don't want to go down that road is because they're afraid of not having the right answers. That's why I want to segue over to the blind man for just a second, because I think it's the best story of a witness in the Bible, period. Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on this blind guy's eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. This is important because that word, the Bible tells us the word means sent. We all need to go as witnesses to the pool of sent, right? So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. It's a miracle. And his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging said, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed it was and others said it wasn't. No, he looks like him. I love the Bible. No, I don't think that's him. Okay, but but, but here's, here's what's great about this, folks. This would have been the blind guy's opportunity to bow out, right? For those of you who have been healed from your spiritual blindness by Jesus and don't want to bother being sent, here's his place to bow out. He could have said, yeah, no, that wasn't me. I don't know what you're talking about. 
When someone says, hey, I heard you were a Christian, is that true? You can go, yeah, what do you think the Hawks' chances are this year? And change the subject to move right along if you want to. The guy could have walked away. Could have started speaking with an accent, you know, done his Ozzy Osbourne or something so you couldn't understand him. But please remember Rick Warren's statement. The only reason that God left you here is to tell people about Jesus. That's your mission, okay? And it's time to ask yourself, what business am I in and how's my business, okay? But don't worry. That's why I love the blind guy's story. The blind guy didn't take the easy way out. He insisted, no, that's me. I'm the man. Well, how were your eyes open, they demanded. And he said, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and I washed, and then I could see. Notice something very important here. He doesn't try to be a theologian, okay? Well, the incarnate Son of God came to the earth, and he has the power from on high because although he is fully man, he is fully God, and he graciously healed my infirmities. He doesn't try to explain how it happened. Right? He just states the facts. And they said, where is this man? And he says, I don't know. Okay, I'm going to keep coming back to this. He did not try to answer questions he didn't have the answers to. Many people don't want to share their story because they're afraid of the hard questions. You know, Well, what about the suffering? Right? What happened to the dinosaurs? Well, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Speaking of chicken, what about Chick-fil-A's statement on gay marriage? You know, I mean, it just goes downhill, right? Practice this with me. This is really simple, everybody. Here we go. I don't know. Say that with me again. I don't know. It's really simple, isn't it? The, the problem is, when you start trying to answer the hard questions, sometimes you end up looking like Raymond. Why are we born? Why has God put us here? Because that's... What? <laughs> if we all go to heaven when we die, then why does God want us here first? That's a good question. You see, God is up in heaven, and, well, honey, it's very crowded up there. It is? Y yeah, yeah. And, and you don't want to be in heaven if it's crowded, right? I mean, remember when we went to Disney World, how crowded that was? Huh? I mean, it was fun, but it was too crowded, right? So God, he sends us down to earth for a little while to ease the heavenly congestion. Listen, I would rather you fake a sneezing attack than try to answer a question you don't have the answer to. It's okay. I don't know. I don't know. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Here it comes. Are you ready for this? He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All that theology stuff, I don't know. I don't even know who he is. Here's what I know. I was blind, and now I can see. There's the best evangelism answer anybody ever gave. There's a lot of stuff I don't know. What I do know is I used to not be able to see, and now I can see. And this is pretty important. 
When, when you're sharing with people, you just ask them questions and answer the best you can with what you do know. And sometimes you gotta say, I don't know, but there is something that you do know. You do know what Jesus did for you. Bill Hybels encourages everyone to think through their own personal story, and I, I love this. He wrote a great book called Just Walk Across the Room, and he reminds us that every person alive today has a story. We all have a story of some kind, and our story fits into the greatest story ever told. So guess what? You do have a story. I don't care if you grew up in church like I did. You still have a story, and God put you right where you are with the people that you are living by in your Jerusalem so that you would have the opportunity to share your story. It doesn't need to be a dramatic story. It doesn't need to be somebody else's story. It's your people and your story. And you've been intentional about connecting with them and you've been intentional about serving them. Now imagine that this neighbor just is hanging out with you one day and they seem to have some interest in God. And one day, what would you do if a neighbor just said, well, tell me why you follow Jesus? Do you know how you would respond? What if we had already prayed about it and we'd already thought about it and prepared in advance what we were going to say? I mean, when you tell your story, you know, it's really the focus is just this. What difference has Christ really made in my life? And what were you like before Christ and what are you like after Christ? It's really, really that simple. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't need to be able to, you know, tell everybody everything just before and after. Okay, so this is your assignment for this week. I want you to write out your story. But here's what's really, really important for you. It's a hundred words or less. All right. Elevator version of the story. 100 words or less before and after. And if you want to, you can email me at mystory at partviewchurch.com. You can fill out your, uh, your bulletin and, and, and fill this out right here and check this box and turn in your next steps card and we will help you with it. Uh, we will actually, you know, help you tool your story and help you, you know, maybe you should leave this part out. Maybe you should add this. These are some things we can do. It's simple. I was self-destructive, but now I'm healthy. I was guilty for all of this, my sins but now I'm free. I was afraid, but now I'm at peace. I was without hope, but now I believe I have hope for eternity. Hundred words or, or less. It's not the Declaration of Independence, you guys. Just an elevator speech. So I want you to write out your story and we will help you with it. Even if you're early in your relationship with Christ and you're still gonna have a story. Even if, if your life is not something that you wanna say is a shining example of Jesus Christ. Guess what? Anybody in here wanna say their life is a shining example of Jesus Christ? Because I ain't putting my hand up, okay? We all have our stuff. Early in your journey is a great time to write out your story. Some of you, you haven't even taken a step to follow Christ yet. You know what? It might be a good exercise for you. Here is my life. I wonder what having Christ in my life could do. And if that's interesting to you, then turn to your neighbor and say, why do you follow Jesus? I just put them on the spot, but maybe by the end of this, they'll have their 100-word answer now. And if we can help you, guess what, everybody? Next weekend is one of our favorite two weekends of the year, Mass Baptism Weekend. Some of you have been following Jesus for a while and you've never done this. Um, it's a way to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ the way he did it in immersion baptism. Some of you are, are new in your journey of faith. This would be a great mark for you to say, I want to follow Jesus. It's next weekend. I want to invite you back for that. What business are we in? We're in the witness business. 
witnesses. It's, it's really important, right? It doesn't say defense attorney. doesn't say judge. doesn't say salesman. It says witness, all right? A witness is just somebody that tells what they've seen. I saw this. This is what happened. And a witness tells what happened to them. Nobody else is an expert on your life, and nobody can even argue about your life, right? Listen, I don't know the answers to your questions. All I know is I used to be blind. Now I can see. Peter said, you are God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him and to tell others the difference that he has made for you. I've been using the house analogy, okay? And connect, it's about the backyard. It's about the comfortable space where they come and cook out and you have a barbecue in your backyard. Serve, we talked about bringing them into the house and allowing them to, you know, spend the night, give them a Band-Aid, let them use the bathroom, whatever they need so that they know that you care about them. This is the next step when we actually... I mean, where do all the good conversations happen? They happen around the kitchen table, right? This, this is the step where you invite them to have a drink and sit down and sit around the kitchen table and talk about the really important stuff. And I know it may feel a little uncomfortable for you to go there, but don't forget, our compassion has to be greater than our comfort if this mission is ever going to happen. I want to show you a video very impactful, a complete atheist named Penn Gillette. You may know him from the, the duo Penn and Teller uh, that have an act in Vegas, uh, comedy slash magic act. And, um, and Penn is an adamant atheist. One day after a show, a, a, a normal guy who wasn't weird, remember our sub-theme, a normal guy who wasn't weird came up to him and handed him a Bible, and it had his business card in it, and, and just a little note, and, you know, it was just a way of, of sharing in a, in a real informal way. The guy evidently had good hands because Penn reacted well. He had, you know, he, he had good eyes because he could tell the right timing and he had good ears. I mean, this is what a witness is. And here's Penn's reaction. I think it's really important. He said, I wrote in the front of it. And I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of... Uh, proselytizing. I mean, he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize 
and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. This is the phrase that really grabbed me. How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them? That's, that's an atheist, okay? How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them? Donald Miller wrote a great book called Blue Like Jazz, and he talked about uh, a friend of his who came to faith. She became a Christian because of her friend Nadine. And Penny said, the thing I loved about Nadine was that she, I never felt like she was selling anything. She would just talk about God as if she knew him and if she had talked to him on the phone that day. She said, some Christians I had encountered felt like they needed to sell God like he was soap or a vacuum cleaner. And it was like they really weren't listening to me. They didn't care. They just wanted me to buy their product. But Nadine made me feel like if I met Jesus, he would actually like me. I can't explain how freeing that was to realize that if I met Jesus, he would like me. Sure, there were people he loved and people he got mad at, but I kept always identifying with the people that he got mad at before until she told me this, and now I'm identifying with the people that he loved because I'm realizing that all the people that he loved were the broken people. They were the kind of people who were tired of life and wanted to be done with it. They were the desperate people, the outcasts and the pagans. Those are the ones that Jesus loved. Did you hear that? Nadine, she made me feel like if I met Jesus, he would really like me. I mean, how hard is that? You know he would. Jesus loved your friends so much that he died on a cross for them. How much do you love them? 